0: You're listening to a podcast from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie. The Great Hunger by Tom McIntyre premiered on the Peacock stage at the Abbey Theatre in 1983. It marked a unique collaboration between the playwright, director Patrick Mason and actor Tom Hickey. In this podcast, we hear Tom McIntyre, Tom Hickey, Patrick Mason, and actor Breach Neenocktham talking about the process.
1: There was The Great Hunger, published in 1942. We're now in the 70s, right? You could hear a murmur in the air in literary circles. Uh, It's a pity someone doesn't... Do something with the great hunger. Um, Okay. And that question was inside me also. So I'm in Boston. And there's a Pissarro exhibition in what's called the Isabella Gardner Museum, major museum in Boston. I wander in. I look up, up there on the wall. Uh, Pissarro, men and women in a hayfield. Join. Something explodes, and I knew how I could shape the great hunger poem to a play. I should say that um, any time I was next or near New York, uh, I'd be the first to go to see the, the Merce Cunningham or the Pina Bouche, or the little theatre experimental stuff. Um, and they were, they were a huge help. <clears throat> S- especially in zone of movement and gesture, and the theatre of the image was big news. The, the theatre I was interested in, I'd call, I think the Great hunger, at its best, is the theatre of the image, right? And that was, that was my passion. Um, The Great Hunger was where we really made it work because, well, an enormous help, the imagistic power of of the poem. Um, And this was the flowering of the theatre of the image period. And uh, I was fascinated with the... All right, words, and I was reared on words, um, can create magic, but... The propagators of the theatre of the image would say, and I found myself saying, uh, the imagistic is even more powerful because there are no words to to fuzz or confuse between the viewer and the image. Just if you get the image right, you're in business, uh now there were, i I would say, and maybe I shouldn't say, uh, there were multitudes who saw the great hunger in, in the peacock and they won't in a long day forget Hickey upside down on that gate. Maguire sat on a wooden gate. Maguire sat on a wooden gate. Maguire sat on a wooden gate. And didn't give a damn. Or, I'm switching to the, the mother, an icon. I was put up on the doctrine uh, in Baileyburgh, that small town eight or nine miles east. The Irish mother is an icon. Let us discuss that at today's meeting. <laughs> Right, I said to him, well, if she's an icon, make her an icon. And that was a huge jump into the language of the play, right? Uh, Audiences couldn't take their eyes off the icon, right? Uh, And the priest talking to her and consoling her, right? Or or Paddy Maguire talking to her. Um, I think that's where I fell with some authenticity into the theatre of the image which I'd been consciously and unconsciously above all in, from uh, Wuppertal Liverpool film territory uh to London powerfully in Manhattan and and back to Dublin where it you'd be searching hard to find it and
2: the experiences is- just being handed a really fascinating piece of work, which you're not quite sure how on earth it does work, uh, but there's so much there's something in it that intrigues you. Uh, with The Great Hunger, it, I was absolutely blown away by it. And this is the thing, you, you get something and it's, it's not all there, but you, there's something in it where you just go, oh wow. And I remember the wow factor was the mother was the, the mother in the kitchen yes, you know, yes. the, the chest of drawers, which is the mother. And I thought that was so inspired and so extraordinary. And the possibilities, the, the, the power of that. And then he had on the other side of the stage it, it, where the, the church area was, he had this sort of card table where the priest did some three card tricks. And I said, Tom, you don't mind my saying so, but you, know, you have this unbelievable kind of iconic Creature in the kitchen and the three-card trick I said there's no contest. You know, there's no power you've you've, you've, you've got this Atomics power station in one corner of the stage and the, and the other stage is slick No, nonsense and all that. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. No, you're, you're absolutely right And and you know we, the more we talked about it and, and in fact I did actually say to you, well, you know, we've got to get an object that has that same presence the there and, and I said, "What about a tabernacle?" <laughs> well, you can't think more potent, you know. And, and the, that's it. And we were off. We were off. And I tell that story really uh, not not because it reflects well on me, but, but 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 you know that's the process yes. that you're kind of constantly saying. There's enough there that it catches you. But then you say, well, why is this corner of the stage not catching me? Why does this character not work for me? Why does this scene not work for me? And you've got all this power here. Why not here? And then you just start this dialogue, this, this constant process. And then, of course, in rehearsal, particularly with Great Hunger, you know, there were huge sequences. I mean, he gave us this fantastic... Resource this extraordinarily detailed scenario, full of images and objects and gestures, each one of which had to be animated and explored and then rejected or, you know, absorbed, depending on its its impact. And, you know, there's so much of rehearsal with a with new play which is about testing. It's testing the theory against the practice, the idea against the presence, and saying, actually, looks great on paper, but something doesn't work. Why? What is it? So, you, you know, there's a lot of that going on, and, and that was a very collaborative process.
3: I went up to the author I'd never met before. There's a line in The Great Hunger. Patrick Maguire went home and made cocoa. This is in the first week. I sent uh, Mr. McIntyre. Um, how do you... This is, Patrick Maguire went home and made cocoa. What do you do? What... What surrounds that? What do you do? He was a pause. Look, he says, pitch it somewhere between the enigmatic and the quotidian, and you won't go wrong. <laughs> that was an early event, so I said it was rather like when Patrika Ionesco went. Boom, we're in business here. Yeah, so. Uh, Patrick very rightly said, as far as I remember, look, we don't know where this is going to go or what we're going to do, but basically what we started off doing was improvising, which never went on in the Abbey before, in my view, I, maybe it did, but not to my knowledge. Improvising, the scene one, whatever it is, what's this? Improvise it. And we... Get some development in the middle of the improvisation. And it mightn't be as prominent as written. Things like that happened all the time with McIntyre's work that there would be an object, or uh, mostly objects, who are in the original script. And when we sort of began to work on the core of the scene, they were never used, so they just walked out. But something else walked in that became very important. So it was all open as Patrick would watch, oh, so the, some of these improvisations were crazy. And there was one scene in particular in the original Great Hunger, we called it the Tangler scene. It was it was set on, it was surreal but set at the fair. And the Tangler at the fair is the, is the guy in between the farmer who's selling the animal and the buyer That guy who comes down and buys cows for butchers and that. And the tangler brings their spits on the two hands and they make a bargain. So we worked on a tangler scene for at least two days. And I think it was a Friday morning, I remember McIntyre coming in, he says, Patrick, I've solved the tangler scene. Wonderful, says Patrick, that's wonderful. Yes, he says, it's Cut.
0: I loved working on the McIntyre plays, the early, the early MacIntyre plays. That was a, a completely different uh, way of working, and it was a fluke that I was actually uh, cast in the first. I wasn't cast in the first uh, production, in the first uh, production of um, um, the Great Hunger when it went into rehearsals, because I was, uh, I was in uh, Mary Make Believe, which uh, was a musical on the Abbey stage, and. Um, Marnie Grania was cast as Tom uh, Hickey's sister, and Marnie Grania had an accident. She fell off her bicycle, and uh, Joe Dowling said, uh, "You will uh, take over from Marnie Grania." And I was very fortunate, really, uh, that I. That somebody else had had uh, had to drop out and i was you know as a member of the company again you just played you you have no you had no choice mm. to what you played so you played the you thing know, and it was great for me you know because i was much younger uh, tackling an older part and stuff but that was something that i had seen that i had seen other i had seen actors do they had started rehearsals they had actually um i think they were they were two weeks into That's rehearsals So, uh, the script will be left for you at the stage door. And uh, so I picked up the script. And of course, the script was not like the usual script that you'd get. It was like um, uh, uh, Maguire, whatever, moves to the gate, explore in rehearsal. Uh, Mary Ann comes in, left with a bucket, Uh, again, explore. So I went, oh my God, oh my God, because we were used to. A beginning a middle and an end in that order the great the, Tom's work was not a beginning a middle and an end in that order so I Ailish McBride was the uh, was the stage director so I went in on the Monday and Patrick was directing Patrick Mason and Tom McIntyre was in the room and at the time and that was another that's an, a wonderful thing that 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 that's that the Abbey kind of that Abbey training gave you at the time I was like I was in my, I suppose, I, was, I certainly wasn't uh, mary Ann's age, you know. She, she was a spinster's sister to, to, to Maguire in the, in the poem. Uh, she was, uh, uh, she'd be in her 40s or late 40s or 50s. Uh, so, I went, oh my God. So uh, I went into rehearsal and uh, everybody was like, there were no scripts. Everybody, okay, into the middle of the floor and do something. And, okay, link in. So this was the, you know, this was how Patrick... And that was the wonderful thing uh, about Patrick. And and I I felt Tom was very fortunate uh, to have a director like Patrick, uh, you know, directing those, the beginning, uh, the, the cycle, you know, because he understood that it wasn't like that it wasn't a normal script, in the sense of a normal script, you know. So uh, that was very scary. That was very, very scary because we weren't, you know, you you didn't have any formal training in movement, you didn't have anything. So you just kind of had to kind of, you know, get, you know, draw on something. But it was also very exciting.
3: I began to realise as time went on that for some strange reason I could empathise I sort of knew how it worked with it. We, we don't know, as Patrika said, from why it was just an accident. But I could suss. So I began to, uh, you know, um, McIntyre would invite me up to the house in Ranelagh, and we discussed discuss the whole thing, etc. I began to get very close to him because I sort of had an instinct of some it's hard to describe an instinct, and uh, it would cost him nothing, as I said, to look up at a scene that's been done. I said, who wrote this? And he'd write something else immediately in the rehearsal room. But the interesting thing then, word began to get out in, in the Abbey that these lunatics were shouting and roaring and doing all sorts of strange things. And we became known as the lunatics in the basement. It was extremely demanding. Physically, mentally, and every other way. And the real thing was that then, scene by scene by scene, we went through. And, of course, one scene, the discovery we made in that would affect another scene. And it was all going, shaping itself in a sort of a way. We did the first half. Jesus, I said. It's so all very well to be doing this scene by scene, but how am I going to be able to do... And I haven't done the second half yet. I, I got an awful fright. And I remember the morning of a technical dress. It was more a dress, Saturday morning. I was so exhausted. I said, I think I'm going to die. I'd probably die on the stage this morning. I feel so bad. I feel so not ready for this but anyway I did it and of course then I got used to it but it was, was really it was really tough but, it was, but clearly it was working I have to tell you a funny story McIntyre and Patrick would have discussions after the previews to tell the audience, many of the audience were very angry because they didn't understand it with their heads, instead so of letting it wash over them you know Patrick would say, no, 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 I, I didn't ask you if you understood it. I did ask you if you recognised it. That was Patrick's bottom line. An old fellow stood up in the third row. And he says, McIntyre, says, I've been watching you for ages now, he says, and you're up to your old tricks again. <laughs> People got... People got frustrated because they didn't understand it with their heads. It wasn't meant for their heads. But extraordinarily, some of the people that were giving out about it would come to me a few months later and said, I still can't forget that show. See, this was really reassuring. And that was 83. When we came back to The Great Hunger in 86, Patrick had had a rethink, Tom had had a rethink, and everybody... It, the script, the script was altered. In many, many, da, 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 Marlene Dietrich singing that, and Maguire going up to the tabernacle. That was an innovation in the second one, as far as my memory memory tells me. That was one of the particular ones. That was sensational worked in my view in a sensational manner. They got rid of three fates who had candles and things in the first one. That went. Instead, rushing through the gate came three or four of them in gas masks. The, the McIntyre said, this is set during the war. We're not giving it enough attention. And that's where the gas masks and Lily Marlene came from. So it was and Patrick. Patrick brought in Lily Marlane, I think. The the effect was Patrick, what what went on a lot of the time was that poor Patrick, the rational Englishman, with two irrational, myself mainly and McIntyre, on each side, was an extraordinary cocktail, you know. But he but he was able to shape all this lunacy I think that maybe it had to do with where you were from I think that the rural people hadn't had as much trouble with it as the the metro people um, and of course there was the Kavna fan club as it were you know it nearly didn't get on. There was legalities passing between Ireland and America and there was some Patrick Kavanagh fans so enforcers thought it was sacrilegious to do it. You know, you had that sort of reaction. We even had a visit from one of the religious organizations, because there's a masturbation scene with the bellows. But then, that was going to happen regularly in the forthcoming years with McIntyre on the stage. The audience in Russia, to my view, is the same as here. Uh, I sort of twig something. Dominic Bean wrote a play, the last line of which was, Mother Ireland, get off me back. But then I realised when we were in Russia that Russia is known as Mother Russia as well. So it's female um, irrational energy that we share, I think. We're quite similar in many, many ways. So they liked I thought they liked the Great Hunger a lot, I have to say, in in Russia. Um, where it wasn't popular in a very decided manner was Manhattan, the Irish Americans thought it was a disgraceful reflection on lovely religious Ireland, that this was outrageous, and they left. You could hear them leaving when we were performing, down here, where the Twin Towers was. It was down there in a college space. But they, they were scandalised by it. It wasn't popular with the Irish-Americans. It was in the wrong place. It should have been further uptown, off-Broadway or something just wasn't suitable um, but it drove some people crazy because they had they weren't ever quite able to adjust the way you perceive it this stuff and then they'd recognize as Patrick says some of it and then it helped them with the next bit that converted. them. so it was a battle royal it was a battle royal you know but great I remember once we arrived in from rehearsing in some space near the big tree there in Dorset Street, forgotten the name of the place, and we walked in through the front door of the Abbey and all the fire alarms went off, as if, look out, here they come.
2: McIntyre remembers in rehearsal every day, every moment, as part of that collaboration. I mean, he used to exercise with us. We'd do all our warm-ups and, you know, improvise. And McIntyre would part, as I would be. You know, there was a genuinely uh, daily collaborative process going on.
0: Tom was sitting in the room all the time. Well, Tom was never one for a lot of dialogue. He did not like it, you know. He would not. You would ask. I remember asking Tom, um, "How do I play this?" How, you know, just to give me a sort of thing, and he said, "Treat it as a laundry list. This would, this would be, you know, this would be your note. Treat it as a laundry list." Or um, so he was. It was always the movement, the gesture, the you know. He was sitting in, in, and he'd go away and write a sort of a, a scene around that, and you. As an actor as well, brought a lot to it. So it was that collaboration between director, writer, and actor, that um, that, that that really um, we've and, and we and in the sense of the Great Hunger, you went back to the poem, you went back to the source. I remember going back to the source a lot and 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 looking and reading and stuff and and trying to get you know draw from that and apply it then to 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 your character because at the end of the day you had to um you know and again that was very very i mean um uh, we played the Peacock, and uh, we could hear people leaving and people going rubbish. And we went to the Edinburgh Festival, and on our first day, we just heard the seats going, seats leaving, going, going up and got... And that was very difficult. It was difficult as actors because you you know you had to believe in what you were doing and stuff. And yet we played. We went to uh, Anna McCarry. And it was it was a big fundraising thing, and there were two nights, one night for as the a, a gala fundraising, and we played it in the shed. And uh, I remember Patrick and Tony Wakefield because uh, there were cows that had to be milked before we actually went in and set up. And they cleaned out the shed, cleaned out. We set up. There were rats everywhere, so it was it was fantastic, open open air, and. Uh, the, the ordinary members, if you could call it ordinary members of the public, got every nuance in that piece and you went, that's fantastic, it's fantastic. So kind of moments like that as an actor and as a, you know, were very special, very special and, and very fortunate in with Tom Hickey, who was very, you know, who responded to that in a very, in a, in a, in a sort of totally different you know performance to anything that had been seen before but but yes within the abbey within the abbey building itself uh, people were saying what is what in the name of god is that what is going on you well, know. it was a struggle yeah yeah it was it was kind of it, there was a feeling of oh god they're mad
1: if you've been a pilgrim for 5 or 10 years which i which is my position uh the joy of seeing the house, of hearing the silence of the house before, let us say, Hickey hanging upside down on a gate, right? Uh, Suddenly I was into terrain uh, where the imagistic was beginning to sing mm. and that's where I'd been consciously and unconsciously heading for the previous five, ten years I'd say, right? Uh, and the silence in the theatre at key moments, that's the silence I long to hear. you know, they're spellbound.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie